Welcome back, everyone, to the Horror Shed Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jared. Underneath, we have the infamous, one and only, no fakes allowed, South Jersey Jason. <laughs> How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. You know, I'm so happy. It is almost Friday. We got a fun weekend ahead. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, the weather is beautiful, and when the weather is beautiful, that means your work needs to be done. So that's what I'll be doing after work tomorrow. Oh, God, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, my... we got to find you a Luke. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I got the uh, fire pit area almost done. I'm going to finish that over the weekend. I'm going to do that Sunday. And then uh got to order the fire pit and the chairs. And I'm going to drink that when I christen the area. I am going to pop open that bottle of wine, uh, the Adrian King wine that our good friend Rick Paulton had dropped off to me back in December. So I'm anxious to pop the bubblies open. Have you thought about making one of those cinder block fire pits? They're cheap. The prices I looked at, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to do something easy. That's not going to strain my back. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. they're nice once they're done, but they're a bitch to get out to where you want to get it out to. That's yeah. That's the problem. You know, like I, after, you know, it took me a while, like how I wanted to do it first. I got like these, uh, uh, PVC type pavers and when they came in they were very flimsy I'm like yeah this is not worth it and I don't want to put pavers in because it's going to kill my back so I went the easy route and made a uh, eight, 80 square foot frame laid down some um, gardening liner you know to, so the weeds don't come through and threw in stone and I need like five more bags and it's done there you go. Yeah, yeah. So uh anything new you've watched? I watched The Mandalorian last night. Great episode. One of the finest of the series, I think. I think it was probably my second favorite episode of the entire season out of eight episodes. Yeah. Uh it's this season wasn't as good as the previous two. If they were to end it with last night's finale with the final scene, I'd be happy. Yeah. Um, here's a little thought. Here's a little theory I found on TikTok. Spoilers if you haven't seen The Mandalorian, pause right now and go watch it. So, a guy I saw the video and he had said on the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, Moff Gideon had a mustache, his clones didn't have a mustache. The Moff Gideon in this series didn't have a mustache, so did the real Moff Gideon die? And he sounded different too because. The original Moff Gideon sounded more like the Chicken Man to me than this okay. previous Moff okay. Gideon. That I just pointed me out, like because when he's yelling at uh, Bo, I'm like, it's weird he took that approach because he was more quiet, mysterious, and shit like yeah. that. I thought they were gonna mind meld uh, Mando, uh, you know, to kind of like forget who he was and him protecting. Din Grogu. Din Grogu. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, they did good, though. I watched yeah. uh, that new documentary on the Boston Bomber. Oh, how was that? Very good. Now, is that on Netflix? Yep. Netflix is killing it with the, the docuseries. Yeah, they, they did a great job. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Was it, how many episodes was it? Shit, I don't remember. Three to five, maybe? Okay. All right. Um, I did not watch that, but I did catch the first episode of Waco Aftermath, which is the follow up to the 2018 Waco. And what's this I one think. again? 
Um, Paramount Plus. Paramount, okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's leading into the the trial of five of the um, what are they calling them? Um, French Davidians, and uh, so we have Michael Shannon as it once again the FBI negotiator, and we have um, Giovanni Ribisi in his. He's playing the lawyer defending the Branch Davidians, and it's in Texas. He doesn't have like a Texas Southern draw. He's reprising his Joe Colombo accent. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, yeah. And basically, it's leading up to Oklahoma City bombing. They've already gave you snippets of um, Timothy McVeigh uh-huh. out there. So it's every Friday they release an episode and sci-fi related i caught up on picard now growing up i wasn't a big star trek fan i watched next generation here and there but i love patrick stewart and this 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 season by far out of the three seasons is the best season and tonight is the season finale as we record actually series finale i should say series finale yeah because i thought that was coming to an end yeah and it's a love letter to the next generation all the basically original cast members except for will crusher um will wheaton he had like one episode last season they all returned so it's like a love letter to the to the, the original series so other than that i haven't i've just i've been like passing out at like eight o'clock at night so um but yeah so what's going on this weekend jared we are heading to blairstown yeah and your first time eating at the diner correct 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 yeah yeah so we're actually going to start something you and i have been talking about for probably the past six or seven months start doing like filming locations of whether maybe true crime or movie locations so we're going to start with my favorite blairstown and we are going to first have breakfast at the diner and then we're going to do um all the filming locations i already have the blueprints mapped out for where we're going to go and uh, i'm going to work like tonight and tomorrow and send you some um small snippets for each scene cool so we can add to it yeah so we're going to actually interview gary uh, who is the owner of the diner and mike the general manager and we're also going to talk i'm going to start laying down the blueprints for Friday the 13th. Beer is on the menu. It's something that the diner and I are putting together for Friday the 13th in October. Uh, right now, like, you know, we obviously want to have vendors and I'm trying to get a couple of, of talent alumni, maybe one to three who are local to the area and possibly a band for about an hour. I spoke with them over the weekend and they're local to the area, American Grimm. If you've ever been to NJ Horicon, uh, they're a staple there. They got some really good music. I actually bought their CD over the weekend and um, yeah, it should be, it should be a good time. Very cool. Very cool. Does you, uh... yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that. I got to remember to grab my camera shit. Um, See any trailers? You know what? I haven't watched the. I totally passed out last night. I didn't watch the Conjuring. How was it? No, Insidious. Oh, Insidious. I'm sorry. Insidious. Oh, it, it looks good. Yeah. Okay. Now, is this going to close the saga out? Do you know? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> and this is um, uh, who's the lead star? Um, oh gosh, what's his name? I can't think of it. Patrick. Patrick Wilson. That's it. 
he's directing this one. Correct. And how does it look with him being behind the camera? Looks very, very... I don't want to forget that tomorrow. <laughs> Looks very, very good. Okay. All right. Now, and the, the original this... boy's back, too. Yeah, I think he's in college or something. He's or... A, yeah, heading to college. Okay, so we do a little bit of a time jump. So I guess he's going to be possessed at college. It's interesting. I'll let you watch the trailer. Okay, yeah, I'll watch it after this. Now, I did. I haven't seen it yet, but um, I really want to see Renfield, and I'll probably wait. It'll probably wait till it comes out on uh, like on demand. But it, I was shocked that the Pope's Exorcist or whatever it's called beat Renfield in the the um, first weekend, and Renfield had a lot more marketing than Pope's Exorcist. I watched the trailer for Pope's Exorcist just before mm-hmm. we hopped on. Um, okay, I'm in. I want to see. Are it. you? Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Uh, this weekend, maybe Sunday, I'm going to try to go see the new Evil Dead movie. Yeah, I want to see that too. That looks, it's got me, it's got me, got me interested. Yeah, the the book is really cool because it has teeth. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, it looks, it looks really neat. All right, so we'll dive into some news before we get into today's, uh, t- actually, you know, before we get to that, I went to the horror show side market this past weekend, and I did send you the picture in the email if you want to um, pop it up. Uh, when I get to it. So this weekend was the horror show side market up in um, Edison. Edison, New Jersey. Really easy ride for me. Two seven, uh, 78 to 278 and I'm right there. And uh, they haven't been there. I think they were there this past December, um, but this is where NJ, when they did their horror convention first started. So they're going back to their roots and basically, you know, it's just a one day uh event nothing big uh a lot you know vendor heavy per se with the one room uh and there was some celebs there so we had Laura marie taylor from friday 13th part two bill randolph from friday 13th part two uh there was jenna banco from friday 13th part seven which i'll get into talking with her in a second uh then you supposedly rochelle davis from the crow was supposed to be there but i didn't see her and then you had the actresses from Annie. So when you when you go in, you hit them first. You go around the corner. You have American Grimm, the the rock band, followed by me, which was kind of cool. You know, I like welcomed you. And then into the room was the vendors, and um, the vendors are always fun. Not a lot of tumblers. There was only maybe one or two vendors that were their tumblers. And I want to give a shout out, which I forget their name unfortunately, uh, but. And I'll I'll share it on my Instagram page and I'll put put it up on our Facebook page and you know um but they donated three tumblers for future raffles when I do fundraisers and I picked they let me pick out whatever ones I want so I picked out uh Jason Voorhees of course Freddy Krueger and Arctic Clown very nice so very very nice of them and then I got a three D printed rogu Voorhees. i saw that that was awesome <laughs> yeah and he gave me a deal it was 45 but it was the end of the day so they took off five bucks which was very nice of them uh i did some networking so i can get some cards for vendors for october friday 13th but the reason i was there i wanted to raise money for our friend ashley paging her mom runs a, a rescue safe and sound animal rescue so i was in costume for about four hours out of the five or six hours i was there and uh i raised 125 dollars which was yeah which was good 
people were actually just giving me money just to donate because when you when you see uh someone raising money for animals they ultimately want to give you something so um i actually and mothershed creations who makes a really cool horror reefs uh, she donated a $150 gift certificate for every $5, which was the monetary donation. You were entered in a raffle. So I had to do that drawing. I'll probably do it tonight or tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was really nice. And, uh, some people came, uh, one guy was really nice. Uh, he just started following me on Instagram the weekend prior. And he's like, I've been following you for a while. And like, this is the first time I get to meet you, which is really cool. So I had a lot of fans um that follow me from different places i go and one of them uh, i worked with his aunt for nine years at the ark of Atlanta county his name's bruce now i met bruce when he was about 13 or 14 and he was shorter than me and he's been following me since 2020 every event i go to the dude's like taller than me now <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool because she was showing me age progression photos of us at different events whether it was in smith smithtown blairstown wherever so thank you to everyone that stopped by and donated because that money will help especially with the latest litter they got some of them need uh medical attention so every dollar does help so got to meet jenna banco from Friday the 13th, part seven. She's the one person I've been wanting to meet for a while. She's on Instagram. She's very goofy and fun. Uh, so she came out and she was also in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, part three. And we were talking about that for a little bit. Surprisingly, I didn't know this, but there was supposed to be a spinoff with like her and the family and kind of focused on her. Like she was going to be like, I don't think I don't know if Leatherface was going to be in it per se, maybe, but that's what they wanted to do, have this crazy ass family. But um, they went the other route, and we got the next generation with Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger, and we won't talk about that too much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, she was she was really cool. Um, got a I got a um, eight by ten, and she said, "Do you want me to put a quote in there?" I said, "Yeah, put a." Brian, I wish you were. I wish you. I wish you. You were dead, because that's what she says to her father, and uh, it was. It was really cool. So I got a uh, the pic and the photo with her, which I'm going to share on my Instagram, like probably tomorrow. I'm going to do a. Um, I'm going to Photoshop like a background in it. Be kind of cool, but yeah, it was really fun. Their next event for NJ Harcon, Ryan Scott Weber, great guy. Uh, you know, he's a promoter that listens to. You know, I mean, all promoters do, I mean, we'll say 80% listen to like their fans of who they want. And, but, but Ryan's a down to earth guy and he doesn't have to announce me as raising money. He just does it because he's just a nice guy. A lot of promoters will never promote a cosplayer unless you are like a professional cosplayer like right you know yeah so uh and you know he's a jersey boy and uh i told him i you know i said you know i come to your events because you're a great guy you you know some promoters they're they're dicks you know you go to say hi to introduce yourselves and they just brush you off not ryan he wants to he wants to know the people who are coming to his show yeah um yeah so his next event is august uh so far we got a fright night reunion and he just announced a oscar award-winning special effects artist who's worked on edward scissorhands 
she did Batman Returns and amongst uh, other people. So it's it's really cool. So that's in August and again in Edison. So most likely I'll be going to hang out for the day. Very cool. All right. So let's get into some news before we get into tonight's topic. <laughs> if you hear barking in the background, that's my bitch dog. She's getting her cooter cut in two weeks. So hopefully that will calm her ass down. All right, Jared, are you famous? Have you ever watched the Sleepaway Camp movies? I watched one and I turned off two. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a, anything past one. I'm not, I mean, they're campy and hokey, but without, to me, without Felissa Rose, you know, we got, we got the wish.com Felissa Rose with, uh, what was her name? Pamela Springfield, which yeah. is Bruce, uh, not Springfield, Springsteen, who was Bruce's younger sister but um yeah so sleepaway camp you can watch the slasher classic at the real life camp arawak in new york this summer now unfortunately there's really nothing remaining of the camp other than the fields and the lakeside but kenny uh caperton's onset cinema is an ongoing film series that presents movie screenings of cult favorites and horror classics at their actual filming locations and fangoria has announced that one of the summer's events will take Horror fans to Camp Arawak join Onset Cinema in Argyle, New York, this summer where Camp Arawak once stood for a very special screening event for the 1983 cult classic Sleepaway Camp. Caperton previewed nearly the entire movie was filmed at this location. I'll be doing two back-to-back events, Monday, June 19th and Tuesday, June 20th, which kind of sucks because it's only four hours from the city. And I would, I would, you know, because Dave Brown was interested in going and, I was thinking maybe I would join along, but it's on a work night, you know, but tickets are only $125, which is not bad. And you get to sleep over if you want to. Um, so choose whichever date works for best for you. Fans will enjoy an entire day at the former camp. There will be swimming and kayaking in the lake where a ton of scenes took place. Uh, watch out for Kenny's body. Uh, you know, we don't want to, you know, see that again. A filming locations walking tour, a screening of the movie where the infamous Angela ending took place, and overnight tent camping to get the full sleepaway camp experience. Admission includes access for to private former camp property, swimming and kayaking in lake locations, walking tour, movie screening, and overnight tent camping at locations. The camping aspect of the experience is optional. Caperton notes, you're welcome to come out and enjoy the camp for the day and head out after the movie screening. The event is super limited to only 30 spots, so it's going to sell out for each day. If you are interested in the once-in-a-lifetime sleepaway camp experience, uh, get your tickets now. I'm so shoulder. So, can you hear her in the background? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. All right. So, we got Hell House LLC Origins. Filming has begun on franchise prequel, and where they're filming at is pretty cool looking. Have you seen any of the? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it looks really cool. Every story has an origin, and the found footage hit Hell House LLC is no exception. As we recently learned, the franchise's upcoming fourth movie will be a prequel tale. Director Stephen Congetti announced on Twitter over the weekend that filming on Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor, is now officially underway. The team explains in the first chapter of what will become known as the Hell House LLC Origin films. So we're going to get like probably a trilogy. Mm-hmm. A group of cold case investigators stay at the Carmichael Manor, site of the grisly and unsolved murders of the Carmichael family back in the 80s. After four nights, the group was never heard from again. What is discovered on their footage is even more disturbing than anything found on the Hell House tapes. Hell House LLC and the first sequel... 
Hell House LLC to the Abaddon Hotel are now streaming on the Bloody Disgusting Powered Screenbox streaming service. Those films were followed by the third installment, Hell House LLC Lake of Fire, which I enjoyed more than part two. Yeah, part two, the acting was suspect, but the story was cool. <laughs> like how it continued on the story. And yeah. all three of them are available on Tubi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bloody Disgusting and Fangoria work together, I guess. So that's why. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so speaking to Vincinius, The Red Door is the horror title of the horror franchise's fifth film. Sony Pictures, hold on one second, I'm going to kill this dog. Sony Pictures is heading back into back into the further with a brand new installment in the Insidious franchise this summer, and the official title for the film has been revealed. Insidious, The Red Door will release in theaters everywhere July 7th, 2023. Now, here's the thing. Do you know what The Red Door symbolizes? No. Come on, man. You're like a demonologist. If you've ever noticed, um, churches have a red door on them. That's to keep out evil. Have I ever noticed? (laughs) Because you don't go to church. No. (laughs) So after starring in the first two movies as Josh Lambert, we learned in 2020 that Patrick Wilson is returning to the franchise as the director of the upcoming fifth installment. Patrick Wilson will start in the film alongside the returning Ty Simpkins as Dalton Lambert, with Rose Byrne also returning in this year's brand new movie as Rennie Lambert. Insidious the Red Door will pick up with the Lamberts 10 years after the last movie. Has it been really 10 years since that movie came out? Yeah. Wow, okay. Hmm. Josh Lambert heads east to drop his son Dalton off at an idyllic Ivy-covered university. However, Dalton's college dream becomes a nightmare when the re... re repressed demons of his past suddenly return to haunt them both this will be wilson's debut as director scott teens wrote the script based on a story by franchise co-creator lee wenall which he's i like he's a good writer i'm honored and thrilled to be at the helm of the next insidious installment which will provide an amazing chance to unpack everything the lamberts went through a decade ago as well as deal with the consequences of their choices wilson said in the statement back in 2020 directing the movie is both professionally and personally a full circle moment for me and i'm extremely grateful to be entrusted in continuing to tell this frightening and haunting story into the further we go so it's been a while since I've seen these movies, so I'm going to give them a rewatch before going out and seeing it. Now, in part two, was he expelled of the of the demon, Patrick Wilson? Or was that part three? Because there's, wasn't there like four Insidious, or am I thinking of another one? No, there's four, but only, I think the first two had Wilson in it. Okay, and guess the ending of the first one ended with him being possessed by that old lady or yep. whatever, right? Yeah, and then that one dealt with getting it out of her. The third one took place in like an apartment with a teenage girl or something. Yeah, yeah. And then the fourth one was like a kind of like a prequel, all Lynn about Shea. all about Lynn's character. Yeah, yeah, which I still haven't watched that all the way through yet. Every time I start to watch, I watch it like it was I fucking tried, like, creepy as shit. That was it? fourth one. Yeah. Okay. Every time I started to watch it, I always got interrupted and I never went back. So I think I'm just going to do a marathon like a couple of weeks prior to. That's what I'm planning on doing. Yeah. Um, all right. This was just announced today. The original Terrifier slashes into 700 theaters for the first time this summer. In the wake of last Halloween smash hit box office success of Terrifier 2, Dread has announced today that they're bringing the original Terrifier to theaters this summer. 
Damien Leone's cult slasher slices into 700 theaters nationwide on July 19th, 2023. This is the widest release the horror feature has ever received. Well, yeah, because it was like a very limited release, the original when it first came out. <laughs> when Damien Leone and his team brought Terrifier to Dread Central years ago, we knew that the film was something incredibly special and astoundingly terrifying in the best way possible. Now, six years later, with millions of Terrifier fans worldwide, we are excited to announce again, once again, unleash on the big screen this blood-soaked homage to old-school horror and the insanity of Art the Clown, says Epic Partners and Dread CEO and owner Patrick and Walden statement. I to Steve Mekin, president of Iconic Events. Every once in a while, a film genre spawns a generational talent who breaks the mold. Damien Leone is such a visionary director. Leone said in a statement of his own, let's see if you can stomach Art the Clown's notorious hacksaw scene on the big screen. Be sure to bring your barf bags. The release of Terrifier in theaters is being handled by Iconic Events. Written and directed by Damien Leone, the original Terrifier from 2016 stars Margaret Reed, Jenna Cannell, Katie McGuire, and David Howard, David Howard for him. In the film, a manacle clown cult horror icon, Arctic Clown, of course, terrorizes three young women on Halloween night and everyone who stands in his way. Now, do you think Damien Leone's going to be like, he's going to fizzle out like Eli Roth? You know how Eli Roth was like, the you know, real hot for a minute and then just over the years kind of fizzled? Well, Eli Roth got big with Hostile. And yeah. that was big because Saul was big. Right. This is something different. Because he's kind of the only dude putting out a slasher right now. Yeah. So I think if he stays with art, I think he'll be okay. I think if he ventures off, it's going to be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. This is like Adam Green when he was he came out with uh, Feast back in the early 2000s. And that was real hot because it was like practical effects, and he made it was it was it spawned a trilogy. Now I don't know if he directed all three, but again, like, hey, yo, no, uh, he kind of fills it out really fast. So although he did do the the Hatchet series, I believe, and that's kind of like what kept him around. But he really has, like you said, other than the, like the Hatchet series. He hasn't done anything else, you know? Yep. So, all right. Last on our list. Definitely thought of you when I saw this. Were you excited when you heard about this? I was. I'm interested to see. Because, you know, documentaries can be boring depending on how they do it. That's all I'm worried about. I'm watching it regardless. Right. So we have Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. From his iconic role as Freddy Krueger in a Nightmare on Elm Street films to getting behind the camera with 976 Evil, Screenbox is celebrating the renowned career of horror legend Robert England with Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story, an epic new documentary coming to the streaming service this June. Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story will be available to watch on Bloody Disgusting Screenbox as well as digital on June 6, 2023. The documentary was shot over the course of two years highlighting the life and career of the classically trained actor and director featuring interviews with robert england and his wife nancy as well as fellow guests john or fellow genre icons lynn shay eli roth Payne hodder tony todd adam green bill mostly heather langkamp and more the documentary follows england's career from his early days in buster and billy and stay hungry starring with arnold schwarzenegger to his big break in the 1980s as freddy krueger to his director 
directorial debut with the 1988 horror film 976 Evil, to his iconic acting status and current roles such as Netflix hit series Stranger Things. Stalking his screen in near silence, England slashed his way into the public consciousness in 1984 horror classic at Nightmare on Elm Street. Needing few words, his performance showed a range far beyond that which was written on the page. Fans could not get enough of his menacing glove and trademark grin. With each new film in the series, England's status as an icon grew until he became one of the most recognizable names in the horror. Grossing over $450 million at the box office, the Nightmare franchise has shown itself to be one of the most prolific in, in horror history, spawning merchandise, a television series, and a 2010 remake. <laughs> England's influence continues to ripple across the genre. Branching out into other well-known films and television series, England has been frightening and delighting audiences for the past five decades. The actor has been featured in series like Stranger Things, and Bones, popular films, Urban Legend, 2001 Maniacs, which, which it's a it's a it's a it's, it's a fun movie. It's a fun. Yeah. Wishmaster and Hatchet and hosted his own series, True Terror with Robert England. I Hollywood watched, Dreams. Hmm? I watched a couple episodes of that. Uh huh. It was cool. It just kind of got boring. OK. Because of the stories behind it. But right. it, it was interesting shit in there. Yeah. So basically the stuff that's after this is kind of redundant. Yeah. So I'll stop there. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting. And did you see the um, Gutter Guards new Freddy's Dead? Um, I did. I like the, the 3D cool. glasses and the yeah. lightning. Yeah, I, I, might, I, I might order that. But you hate Freddy's Dead. <laughs> but I like the graphic. Though. Yeah, it is cool. Like, it came yeah. out really good. Yeah, so it's a it's a pre-order weekend. So if um, by the time you listen to this, the pre-order will be done. But Follow Gutter Garbs on social media. They they put out some good stuff. And their prices, I mean, they're competitive to like fright rags or terror threads, but they're all they're also always doing um good sales. Every Jason t-shirt I have, 99 per 99.9% is gutter garbs. And they so. have sizes that don't range from small to large, like other <laughs> <laughs> fucking t-shirt companies have you yeah. been to a fucking horror convention who's wearing a large mm -hmm. and their sizes are like <laughs> like i uh i'm like an extra large but i get a 2xl mm -hmm. uh because it's just a little bit roomier so they do fit i just don't like tightness too much so i, like I have to wear like you see how baggy the shirt is on me mm-hmm and I have to wear that because it's a 4XL because my back's so fucking long that nothing comes all the way down to my pants. No, you're just so beefy. That's why. Well, I mean, yeah, this keeps <laughs> it up there. But every shirt I've ever owned, unless I could get 3X long, I have to go 4X. And it yeah. looks like shit. Like, this thing's huge on me. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least, uh, so last yesterday, I came across a convention um <laughs> uh, what the hell is it called hold on my gosh it was some I weird gotta, name for the pa yeah i gotta i gotta get into my regular facebook page um bear with me you sent it to me so you could probably just go to our dm uh there you go con contropolis 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 it's gonna be an oaks pa apparently it's been around for a couple of years uh but they just announced yesterday that the man the myth the legend the one and only renowned actor uh i don't know maybe writer or not, not so much well and a director and musician 
Corey Feldman is going to be there. And he's on my bucket list to meet. I wanted to go to his concert in Reading, but I, I was told that I wouldn't come home with the tires on my car. So um, he's going to be in Oaks, PA the week, the first weekend in May, which would be the fifth, sixth. Actually, he's going to be there just Saturday and Sunday, the sixth and seventh. So tickets for Sunday is $25. Not bad. It's more like pop culture. So like there'll be some actors there, like Michael Bean, some Power Rangers, stuff like that. Uh, but an hour away from me, I got to go. So to get a personalized autograph from him is 70. Not bad. Okay. Now, if you don't want to personalize, $140. But I get why he's charging that much. Because you're going to sell his stuff. So he wants to bank, which I get, but I don't, you don't see other actors really doing that. You know, like I've never come across like different autograph choices. Yeah. Well, hearing some of the stories I've heard about him, he's not a normal dude. So I get it. I completely yeah. understand what he's doing. So but make that um, money, bro. Your name's that, worth it. Fuck. Yeah. Um, and he, they don't do cell phone photos with that price. So I'm going to get a pro photo op, $95. So a buck 65 plus 25, you know, it's so not, for something that you've been waiting that long for, it really yeah. is that big. Deal. Cause yeah. when I go to beat Robert, that's going to be $600. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 165, yeah. that ain't bad. Nah, nah, not at all. So are you yeah, going to have so... him sign burb stuff or what no, are we doing? I'm doing final chapter. Tommy okay. Jarvis. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not big of a Burbs fan enough to do that. You know? So, I mean, I like the movie, but it's not like in my top 10. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into tonight's topic. Now, uh, this is a topic we talked about doing for a while. Yeah. Because even though movies say based on true events, it could be so much further from the truth. But some right. of these are really fucking from true events. Yeah. So um, I always get I'm always captivated by anytime something says based on true events. And sometimes when you read the real story, it's a lot worse than what we see on screen. Yep. So I think, um, you know, they're getting to like inspired by true events, you know, it's just we'll say the Amityville horror that was so Hollywood dramatized and everything, especially with the remake with like the Ketchum guy, you know? So, uh, well, the remake follows the second book that came out about that with the Ketchum okay. guy. So oh, really? technically, okay. so you... is there really a Ketchum though? Man, we got to do a whole episode on this. Ketchum. There was lineage in Long Island to a Ketchum. Okay. There's a Ketchum Park five miles away, but they're saying the nearest Ketchum person lives like a hundred miles away from lineage. Okay. But why is there a Ketchum Park? Right. And then this guy finds this whole Indian thing. It was, uh, I forget the doctor's name, but it was the second guy that came in after douchebag. I believe everything Ronnie DeFeo says. <laughs> uh, oh, Rick Asuna. Um... Yeah, Rick Asuna, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. I know you did it on um, the uh, the your yeah, other podcast. Yeah, but we've learned more since then. So. Yeah, so I think that would be a good thing to do for one recording in the summertime. It's definitely going to be like probably a four-parter, five-parter, right? At least a two-parter. At least a two-parter? Okay, gotcha. 
All right. So let's get into these based on true events. Um, so the phrase based on true events is guaranteed to generate hype for any horror movie. Horror is already meant to be terrifying. So declaring that it actually happened only ups a film's fear factor. It also generates a ton of buzz as curious viewers want to know the story behind a film as well as how true it actually is. After all, the world is terrifying. After all, the world is a terrifying place. Serial killers like Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer targeted and killed young people to satiate their violent impulses. I think I said that right. Claims regarding demons, ghosts, and other paranormal creatures are harder to validate, but in this uncertainty lies ample opportunity for writers and directors to try and make even the staunchest skeptic question reality. These 17 horror movies are based on actual events involving serial killers, supernatural entities, and even aliens. Lock your windows, grab your Bible, and get ready to dive into a world of real-life horror. So this is going to be in no particular order. So The Strangers. When this first came out, I didn't care for it too much. I really liked the follow-up better, Pray, Pray by Night, I think it was called. Uh, so directed by Brian Bertino, The Strangers is a lean and mean piece of horror about Three masked strangers who terrorize an estranged couple played by Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman simply because they happen to be at home. The group determines that the couple is around when one of the members knocks on their door and asks, is Tamara home? That's all the imitation these invaders need to begin their horrific game of cat and mouse. Chillingly, this actually happened to Bertino when he was a child. Someone knocked on his front door asking for someone who didn't live there. Bertino later learned there was a series of break-ins in his neighborhood Around the same time, the robbers would target houses where no one answered the door. He also said that the film was inspired by the Manson family murders. While Bertino has never corroborated this theory, many viewers also speculate that the film is based on the Ketty murders, an unsolved homicide in which a family of three and a friend were brutally stabbed and beaten to death in their cabin in Ketty, California. And I listened to a really good podcast, one of the podcasts I listened to faithfully called True Hollywood Crime Scene. And they did an episode on the Ketty murders, and it was really good. Like, Again, like police fuck ups and stuff, which is nine times out of ten <laughs> what happens. And it's, I think I believe it took place in the early 80s. All right, Wolf Creek. I have to admit, I have not seen these films yet. Have you seen any of the Wolf, Wolf Creek? Creek movies? The first one was great. Okay. It was really good. I liked it. I think there was like two of them. And then a TV series, I think I saw it like come out. I'm not 100% sure. In the 2005 torture porn film Wolf Creek, killer Mick Taylor is an amalgamation of two serial killers who murdered backpackers in the Australian outback. Active from 1989 to 1993, Ivan Milot killed seven victims, five foreign tourists, and two Australians, and became known as the Backpack Killer. He would pick up unsuspecting campers who were hitchhiking to parts of New South Wales, but instead of taking them to their destination, he brought them to Belangelo State Forest, where he murdered them with various weapons. In 2005, Bradley Johnson Murdoch was convicted for the murder of British tourist Peter Falconio and the attempted abduction of Falconio's girlfriend, Let Lee, who survived the ordeal. Falconio's body was never found, and he is presumed dead. Lees was able to escape capture by hiding in the bush and eventually finding her way to a roadway to get help. In discussing his inspiration for Wolf Creek, McLean says that he wanted his villain to enscapulate the xenophobia, homophobia, sexism, racism, all that kind of stuff that we Australians squash down but is alive and well. 
Next is Compliance. Now, I haven't heard of this movie. A, a series of crimes dubbed the Strip Search. Oh, actually, I haven't heard of the movie, but I know of this. And there's a really good documentary on Netflix about this. A series of, of, of crimes dubbed the Strip Search Phone Scams inspired Craig Zobel's 2012 film Compliance, in which fast food employees are forced to violate each other by a man on the phone who claims to be a police officer. As in the movie, the actual crimes targeted fast food restaurants across the country. A man would call the restaurant, ask for a manager, and say he was a cop or another authority figure. He would explain that he was investigating a female employee and that the manager needed to interrogate her to get a confession. Incidents included strip searches of several employees and even a cavity search for drugs. Following a call gone wrong in 2004, David R. Stewart was arrested for his 12-year-old scam, impersonating a police officer, and the gross manipulation of so many people. He wasn't an officer, of course, but just a regular guy who was married with five children and was obsessed with joining the police. Stewart was only convicted for the final call, but he's suspected to be responsible for all of them. Compliance follows the final scam rather closely, though it adds more sexually explicit details to up the shock factor. It even includes the use of security footage to catch the creep, which is how police were able to capture Stewart. And I think we talked about this. We did. A while the documentary ago. was on Netflix. It's called Don't Pick Up the Phone. Mm. And you know what? Yes, it's very wrong what this did, what this guy did. And I, how did so many fucking people fall for this? Okay, um, if hello, this is the police. I need you to go take your female employee in the back and strip search her <laughs> and suck your dick. <laughs> At that point, you're not like, hey, this is wrong. <laughs> and didn't McDonald's like they didn't compensate the victim or something? Oh, she sued the fuck out of them. Yeah. I think she got like 27 mil or something oh, like that. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. She won. Because oh, that wow. manager fucked up. Yeah. Like, no, I'm still not doing it. <laughs> you you right. come in here and strip search her. Like, that's what I'm saying. Because there's yeah. a brain in my fucking head. And this scam worked everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Your favorite. <laughs> the Amityville Horror and the 99 films that followed. <laughs> we have Amityville Backpack coming out soon. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Stuart Rosenberg's 1979 film, The Amityville Horror, is based on the 28-day haunting of the Lutz family. In both real life and the film, the previous owners of the Lutz's new home were murdered in their beds by their son, Ronald DeFeo, two years before the Lutz clan moved in. When Kathy Lutz brought in a priest to bless the home he heard a voice loudly declare get out get out he did the events became progressively worse the family smelled foul odors and observed other bizarre activity the lutz family claims the actual events were too horrifying to discuss the infamous ed and lorraine warren who make a few appearances later on this list were even involved in the investigation refuting claims that the whole thing was fake the Amityville Horror is still thought to be a hoax due to a lack of evidence, as well as George Lutz's supposed involvement with the occult. But Rosenberg's didn't care about that. Regardless of what is true, it's one scary concept. The film did take some liberties, however, having George become completely possessed and pushing him to the brink of committing murder similar to the Feos. You know what I'd like to say? You know how we, we do these docu-series like FX or whatever, Paramount Plus? 
they'll do like a real life behind like true story or whatever. I'd like to see something in that manner of like the aftermath of the Annieville horror, like what the Lutzes went through, like from the time they left the house to they passed away or something. Yeah. You know, that'd be pretty interesting. It would be. I like to see it. All right. The Conjuring 2. This couldn't be farther from the truth. <laughs> Ed and Lorraine Warren are known as the con men of the paranormal world, exploiting the desperate for fame and recognition. But in Jane Wan's, Jane, James Wan's The Conjuring franchise, the Warrens, Vera Farmiga plays Lorraine and Patrick Wilson plays her husband, Ed, become a ghost hunting Catholic superheroes. The second film about the Warrens, The Conjuring 2, is based on the case of the Enfield Poltergeist, which tormented a single mother named Peggy Hodgson and her four children in their North London home. For 18 months, Hodgson and her family claimed that they saw furniture moving by itself, heard knocks and disembodied voices, and actually levitated. The youngest daughter, Janet, played in the film by Madison Wolf, allegedly became possessed by the Poltergeist, who spoke through her and told investigators he was the ghost of Bill Wilkins, who died in the house. This was corroborated by public records. It wasn't just the Hogsons who had a brush with the paranormal either. Over 30 people, including journalists, neighbors, and other investigators, witnessed some sort of activity. However, the Warrens were not as involved in the case as The Conjuring 2 would lead you to believe. In fact, the Warrens showed up to the house unannounced and were initially not allowed inside. Regardless... Regarding the case, the real-life Ed Warren said, Those who deal with the supernatural day in and day out know the phenomena are there. There's no doubt about it. And I think the last podcast on the lap did a really good episode on this this haunting, actually. They did, like, it was like a two-parter, I think. They did. And what it looked like to me was, you know, America had all these great haunting stories. Mm-hmm. This was London's chance. So I think a lot of people were in on this. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, and there's actually, um, the BBC did, uh, it might have been like a, a two-parter um, movie or whatever. Yeah. I watched that. I liked it better than The Conjuring 2. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's all the evidential pictures and everything can all be faked. So, yeah. to me, this one, I'm on the fence about. Because there's so many witnesses to this. It is the most witnessed haunting in the history. But like I said, America's got Amityville. America's got Gettysburg. America's got all this crazy. This was England's chance to throw its hat to the ring. Right, right. Um, All right, so Borderland. Borderland is based on the horrific murders committed and overseen by Adolfo Constanzo, a practitioner of Paolo Mayombe, who led a cult he called the Narco-Satanists. In his own practice of Paolo Mayombe and established African religion, Constanzo committed, I think it Costanza like George Costanza. <laughs> he committed human sacrifice to feed his Ganga, 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 a special cauldron that he believed protected his group from harm. See, in addition to cultists, they were also prolific drug traffickers, and no human sacrifice is not typical of the religion. In total, Costanzo was responsible for 15 confirmed deaths, although it is thought that the number could be much higher. Borderland tells a fictionalized story about actual victim 
Mark Kilroy, an American student who was kidnapped, tortured, and ritualistically killed to protect the narco-Satanists from being apprehended by the police. It also closely follows the rituals and practice of Paolo Mayombe, choosing to explain their religion rather than simplifying it or removing it to make the film more palatable for a wider audience. In fact, the inclusion of Paolo Mayombe in Borderland makes the film all the more terrifying as the viewers realize that these are actual traditions that have been practiced in the real world. Please fucking go. Give me one second. Okay, I don't know. All right, next on the list is The Sacrament. Uh, this is actually a really good one. This introduced me one of Ty West's earlier films, uh, 2013 found footage film, The Sacrament, is based on the Jonestown Massacre of 1978 committed by the People's Temple cult leader, Jim Jones, at the Religions Compound in Guyana. The compound was where Jones fled from police investigation into his cult, which was being exposed for questionable practices from ex-members. Jonestown, the inspiration for Eden Parish in the sacrament, was supposed to be a socialist utopia, but was actually a front for Jones's mistreatment of his followers. After being investigated by U.S. representatives Leo, Leo Ryan, a group of defectors asked for help, leaving Jonestown. Chaos broke out, and an acolyte shot at Ryan's plane to prevent the ex-cultists from returning to the United States. There are no politicians in the sacrament, but a camera crew does help defectors with their helicopter, which also leads to a shootout. Amidst the shooting, Jones forces parishioners to drink cyanide lace Kool-Aid. In total, 918 people died in Jonestown. Through the found footage format, the sacrament adds a new perspective to the well-known story. This isn't a biopic, but a harrowing recreation of what it would be like to live through such an experience. And you said you All liked right. that movie? Uh, it was very good. So uh, I, I found it on Netflix. It might still be on there. The cover, whenever I see it, because the actor looks like it's you know, they're going for a Jim Jones, but he kind of looks like john goodman I, that's what i saw when i i bring up the picture again so everyone can see yeah it. it's it just always throws me off when i see it it does look like john goodman especially from uh the hangover three yeah <laughs> all right up next we have the entity uh it's based on a particularly upsetting true story in which a woman was repeatedly raped by an unseen force. The film, starring Barbara Hershey, is inspired by the case of Doris Bither, a mother of four who told parapsychologists that she was being raped by an invisible person on a regular basis. I wonder why she didn't reach out to the Warrens. <laughs> well, the Warrens were busy dealing with another. Uh, this demon was raping the husband and wife. And this dude, I think it was the Smurl family. Don't quote me, because I've done a ton of... Uh, Warren research, so they all kind of grouped together. But I know it was Pennsylvania. I want to say it was a Smurl. They were on Sally, Sally Jesse Raphael with their giant red fucking glasses saying they've been both raped in the butt. <laughs> oh, brother. Uh, we here condone butt rape by ghost, you know. It, it, that's, it, it's just, that's, that's not needed. It's just... <laughs> When she turned to scientists to help figure out what was happening, what was happening to her, they began observing her to determine the validity of her claims. During this process, scientist Barry Taft captured photos of the supposed phenomena. He claims on his website that Bither wasn't experiencing ghostly rape, but a rather disturbingly real poltergeist outbreak. The entity makes Hershey a sympathetic character who is doing her best as a single mother. Not much is known about the actual Bither, except that her relationship with her children 
wasn't great and that she experienced a great deal of childhood trauma. Speaking of trauma, Fire in the Sky. I am I I think alien abduction fascinates me, although I would never want to be abducted, although I if I could go back 20 some years, I would want to be abducted because back then we didn't have smartphones to record stuff. And when I saw the UFO, I should have just stayed where I was and not ran home to get my camera, you know? So, or you could so. end up like Cartman in the first episode where the satellite <laughs> comes out of his ass and he's like, ah! <laughs> so this, this, you know, this alien abduction movie terrified me as a kid. I saw it when it was on HBO fire in the sky is an alien abduction film based on the book The Walton Experience, which was written by Travis Walton, an actual alien abductee. Walton was a logger who, along with his co-workers, discovered a saucer-shaped flying object floating in the woods. He made the questionable decision to approach it and was subsequently brought inside the vessel by a bright beam of light. This was witnessed by his co-workers who drove away in fear. While in the ship, Walton says he fought small, bald creatures until a human being calmed him down and placed a mask over his face, knocking him out. Walton woke up five days later on the side of a highway. Since Walton's memory of the abduction was very hazy, Fire in the Sky screenwriter Tracy Torme took quite a few li artistic liberties to create an effective horror movie. The prime example is the graphic depiction of Walton's time with the aliens, which includes being trapped on a table by a strange suffocating membrane and a probe that goes through his eye. Usually when you hear a probe, you think of another entrance. This is through an eye. Each is brutally horrible to think about but them aliens they they want to know more about us mm. all right hounds of love hounds of love directed by ben young is loosely based on the crimes of david and Catherine birney who kidnapped and murdered four women a fifth victim actually escaped their grasp hounds of love is about the final victim her experience with her abductors in hounds of loves named john and evelyn white and her subsequent escape David and Catherine Burney committed their crimes over a period of five weeks, kidnapping young female hitchhikers and bringing them to their home. David raped the girls while Catherine watched. Then they murdered the victims and buried them in the shallow graves. Kate Moore, the basis for the character Vicky Maloney, escaped when Catherine forgot to chain Moore to the bed where she left the house. Moore then slipped through a window and ran to find help. She led the police to the Birney's house where they were arrested for their crimes. Hounds of Love is only loosely based on the Birney's, but Young closely follows Moore's story while also adding disturbing depth to the fictional killer's dysfunctional romantic dynamic. The Snowtown Murders is a grisly biopic about the actual Snowtown killings, which was also known as the Bodies and Barrels Murders. These crimes were not the work of just one person, but rather a group of four who became some of Australia's most famous, infamous serial killers. John Bunting, Robert Wagner, James Velasquez, and Mark Hayden, who helped dispose of their bodies. Between 1992 and 1999, Bunting, Wagner, and Velasquez tortured and killed 12 people, then disposed of their dismembered remains in barrels. Unlike most serial killers, the trio killed people they knew. Specifically, they targeted friends and family members who Bunting declared weak, particularly pedophiles and those who identify as gay. Before killing them, however, the men tortured their victims, crushing their genitals and breaking toes with pliers. Their final victim was Hayden's wife, who Bunting thought was too promiscuous. Hayden didn't express any remorse or grief over her death. So you're going to kill your wife for wanting to have sex with you all the time? Nope. <laughs> she gets flowers and stuff there you go but i'm all for them killing the pedophiles but leave the gays alone they didn't do anything to you right all right scream 
Why, yes, Wes Craven's meta-horror masterpiece Scream is in fact based on a true story. Specifically, Scream writer Kevin Williamson was inspired by the Gainesville Ripper, a.k.a. Danny Rowling, who killed a total of eight people. The Gainesville Ripper first gained notoriety in August 1990 when he broke into several apartments and stabbed five students. Rowling's killings were not only violent, but he also posed the bodies in sexually suggestive positions and carefully staged the crime scenes to create maximum repulsion. He was later charged with a further three homicides. One of Rowling's most shocking actions occurred when he realized that he left his wallet at a crime scene. He went back to retrieve it and decided while he was there to, to decapitate one of his victims and place her head on a shelf. While Rollins' specific crimes don't occur in Scream, Williamson was inspired by the student-focused killing spree to write a story about a killer who taunts young women over the phone. So you're getting away with these murders, but you're still bringing your ID with you. Yeah, it's so stupid. Like, (laughs) just leave everything at home, bro. Yeah. And uh, fun fact, Kevin Williamson wrote this in a weekend. And that launched his career. No, he's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I think he's... Well, I mean, he was big for late 90s, early 2000s. Um, not so much. I mean, you hear about him here and there. Yeah. But he was all the talk, you know. I mean, if it wasn't for Kevin, we would never would never have gotten Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> never let away. What is that? Oh, God, that damn song. <laughs> Working at Sam Goody. God. You know, back in the day when they sold singles. And I know? hated James Vanderbeek. Until Varsity Blues came out. Then I became yeah. a fan. That was a great movie, Varsity Blues. Him and Scott Kahn and uh, uh, what's her name from Cherry Hill? Gosh, the blonde that was in... Um, uh, Allie Larder. Allie Larder, yes. The whipped cream bikini. Yes. Mm-hmm. But James, uh, well, not James, what was this? What was the uh, coach's name? Um, what is the actor's name? Uh, it's Angelina Jolie's dad. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, he was great as the oh, coach. Oh, so good. Yeah. Because I had a coach just like that in winter track. Yeah, we you all know, had he, that he, fucking he'd asshole. Run you to, he'd run you to you where you couldn't, like, basically, I had to get surgery. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Next up on our list, Henry Portrait of a Sealer Killer. And I have to admit, I watched parts of it, but not all the way through. But it's got um, Michael, got the frick's his name from Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Michael Rooker. Michael so. Rooker. And, uh, and Mallrats, his best role ever. Want a pretzel? <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking for the most disturbing film on this list, Henry Portrait of Serial Killer is it. It features a fictionalized version of Henry Lee Lucas, a serial killer active from 1960 to 1963, who was also known as the One-Eyed Drifter Killer and the Confession Killer. Ah, the police just used him to solve crimes, like, because they were cold cases. In total, Lucas was convicted for three murders and was assumed to have committed eight others. He claimed that he killed hundreds. Lucas is the epitome of a drifter killer, meaning that he moved from place to place, killing at random, which made it more difficult to apprehend him. But Lucas just didn't murder. He raped, robbed, attempted to kidnap children, and committed many other horrific crimes. 
He kept company with people like Otis Toll, played by Tom Tolls, a large and intimidating drug dealer who became his accomplice. Henry Portrait Serial Killer is so frightening because it's filmed like a home movie, complete with a shaky camera and grainy footage that makes it feel like a videotape you find buried in a closet. Michael Rooker plays Lucas, and his actions feel quite real, making the experience akin to watching a snuff film. All right, I'm down. I think it's it was kind of like creep. Creep. How, you never saw Creep? Creep no. Creep 1 and Creep 2? No. No way. No, what is it about? It's about this dude that hires this cameraman to follow him through life, and you think he's got, like, cancer or something, and he turns out to be this psychopathic killer. Oh, is it, like, on Tubi or anything? I think it's or? still on Netflix, actually. Oh, okay, I'll check it out. There's two that. of There might be a third, but a, or a third's coming, but there's definitely two. Okay, very nice. All right, this is what the second kind of second. Yeah. Well, anyway, the Warrens are coming back again. Uh, they make another appearance on the list this time with the first film in the franchise that depicts the real life Charlton's as good and virtuous people. Man, this writer of this article cannot like, like the fucking Warrens. <laughs> The first Conjuring film centers on a family of seven, a mother, a father, and their five daughters who move to a farmhouse full of demons and spirits who torment the family. The story is based on the Perron haunting, which was one of the Warren's most prominent cases. The Perrons moved into a 14-room farmhouse in 1971 and immediately began experiencing strange phenomena, which started with missing items and escalated to full-on possession. The film is rather true to the real-life events, including the name of the spirit, Beth Bathsheba, who was an actual person who supposedly lived on the property in the mid-1800s, and Jared shaking his head. However, Ed Warren did not perform the climatic exorcism in the film. Instead, he conducted a seance as he did not have permission to perform this sacred rite. So you're shaking your head. There's many tales of Bathsheba. The youngest daughter of the parents knew the spirit that was affecting her mother was not Bathsheba, no matter how much Lorraine Warren said it was. Lorraine Warren saw that name on a tombstone in the town fucking cemetery. Mm. There's no there's no official record of a Bathsheba being on property. Now, I will tell you, this property is fucked. If there's any place I believe is fully fucking haunted, it's the parent house. And it's now an Airbnb. I've seen so many clips of all these ghost detectors going off, crazy shit happening. Like, everyone I've ever talked to that has walked into that building has had something happen to them. Would you think Terry would sleep overnight? Fuck no, but I would. <laughs> She'll be like, I'll see you in the morning, I'll pick you up. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she can handle that. She handled our last house, but this is this is more intense. Yeah. All right, and then following up from last week's episode, we got The Exorcist. William Freakin's 1973 horror classic, The Exorcist, is often cited as one of the scariest movies of all time. What makes it even scary is that it's based on the actual exorcism of Ronald Doe in 1949. Ronald Doe is not the boy's real name, but the one used to protect his family's privacy. While Ro or it's actually Roland Doe, I'm sorry. Um, while Roland becomes Reagan in the film... Freakin said that most of the film's events were actually observed by Doe's family during a possession, as verified by those involved. He also consulted the journals of the priest who performed the boy's exorcism to ensure that he got the details right. 
Can you imagine reading those? Like that's all pretty. How awesome. did he shove a cross up his vagina? Well, maybe he went the other route. <laughs> Strange things started happening to Doe's family after the death of his aunt Harriet, with whom Doe was very close. As an only child, Doe clung to Harriet, who introduced him to Ouija boards and spiritualism. After her passing, objects would levitate and fly across the room when Doe was nearby. As the possessions got worse, a number of exorcisms were performed on Doe. One was halted after Doe ripped a box spring out of a mattress and sliced a priest's arm open. During the final and successful exorcism, strange marks appeared on Doe's body. He broke a priest's nose and his head reportedly spun around, although that was never corroborated. These days, however, Doe's case is thought to be a fake, merely a case of mentally ill teenager. Now... Okay, I'm no doctor, but if your neck spins around like that, I don't think you're going to live. <laughs> no, um, it's an interesting story because the guy actually went on to live a pretty decent life. He worked for yeah. Na- he worked for NASA for a long time too. Yeah, I, I did hear that. Yeah, and they think uh, I think he's since has since passed. Yeah, away. I think he's gone. Yeah, because if this is 1949, he was like around 12, you know. But he never really denied it. He never really talked about it, which makes me think, you know, all the war veterans don't want to talk about that shit. Yeah, yeah. He's not going on Sally Jesse. He's not going on podcasts. He he left that shit alone. Right. So right. that that right there makes me think that kid. It might not be to that extreme, but that kid went through some shit. Yeah. All right, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper's debut film, is a classic horror film about a family of cannibals who prey on young tourists with the infamous Leatherface wearing their skin. This horrifying premise is unfortunately based on the story of Ed Gein, a murderer and grave robber who exhumed the dead bodies of local women, cut off their skin, and wore it. Gein always stole bodies that resembled his mother, with whom he had a very relationship among the paraphernalia and the clothes he created was a belt made of nipples a skull he used as a bowl leggings made of human skin and a collection of vulvas hooper took Gein's disturbing actions and turned them into something even more upsetting adding cannibalism and a lot of very graphic murder involving meat hooks and chainsaws to the mix Gein was only convicted of two murders so he wasn't a serial killer he was just deeply disturbed his crimes didn't just inspire hooper either his story was the basis for Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, and Jonathan Demme's The Sounds of the Lambs. I wonder if these items are still in evidence lockup somewhere. Now, they're around, because some of the shit pops up in museums, too. Now, oh, really? now I'm no mathematician or doctor, <laughs> but to make a nipple belt, you would need more than four nipples, right? Yeah. And they, yeah. They, would, they would probably not be alive if you had their nipples on a belt, right? Right. So to make a whole belt... People only have two nips. Yeah. So two and two is four. <laughs> four doesn't make a belt. So how the fuck is he only charged for two murders? Right. And he has yeah. a collection of vulvas. They don't just give them away at the fucking payless. Well, I mean, he was a grave robber, so maybe. They yeah, didn't... but to get that, why it's still <laughs> there? I mean, that's the first kind of shit to go, isn't it? Like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this was the. 30s nah um late 40s 50s okay they they weren't bombing people like they were today right they were put on ice at the funeral yeah yeah that i'm surprised we haven't gotten a good documentary about him 
You know, I don't think they want everyone throwing the fuck up. <laughs> All right, this is another. This is a favorite movie of mine, and I, I, I've read a couple of um, books. Like growing up, I was fascinated by this case. The Zodiac Killer terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area in the late '60s, killing a confirmed five people. Though he claimed in cryptic notes to have killed 37. Even more terrifying, the Zodiac Killer was never caught. David Fincher took the bone-chilling story and adapted it into the 2007 film Zodiac, which documents the lives of the men who became obsessed with trying to solve the case. Political cartoonist Robert Graysmith, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Journalist Paul Avery, probably like his only non-Marvel movie in 20 years. Well, maybe one of two. Uh, and well, detective... non-Marvel movie that he was actually good in. <laughs> yeah. Although the one um the judge with Robert Duvall, that was a good that was one, good. Though. Yeah. And Detective David Tashi, Mark Ruffalo were all real people who were deeply involved in the hunt for the Zodiac killer and became fixated on catching the perpetrator. All of the murders and attempted murders from the film, including the double shooting of teenagers David Arthur Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, and the escape of pregnant Kathleen Johns and her baby daughter are based on actual events. Fincher also perfectly captures the obsession that plagued the three men involved, as well as the fear that the Zodiac Killer spread across the region. While many true crime fans know the ultimate outcome of the investigation, Fincher is still able to ramp up the tension. These men got so close to finding the killer, but ultimately failed due to only having circumstantial evidence. That would be a good story to um, talk about in the future because there's so many. That's a lot. Um, That's like a four-parter. Yeah, yeah. All right, The Hills Have Eyes, the original, not the remake. Wes Craven may have known have, have been known for crafting slasher films, but he also he's also a pioneer in hillbilly horror. His 1977 film, The Hills Have Eyes, follows the Carter family on a road trip through the Nevada desert. Stranded due to car trouble, they become prey for a family of inbred cannibals who use the remote location to trap unsuspecting travelers. The surviving Carters descend into a type of savagery to defend themselves against the bloodthirsty locals. Craven based the film on a real family of inbred cannibals led by Sawney Bean, a tanner living in 15th century Scotland. Failing to find legitimate work, he retreated with his wife to a nearby cave and began robbing passerbys to survive. Even more disturbing, the couple would drag victims into the cave to then butcher and eat them. Bean and his rapidly expanding family continued these crimes for roughly 25 years, creating a missing persons crisis in neighboring villages. The inbred clan killed and ate approximately 1,000 people, salting and picking their bodies to preserve their meat. Bean, his wife, 14 children, and 32 grandchildren were all eventually caught and suffered gruesome executions. Many scholars doubt the legend's veracity and view Sawney Bean as sort of a local boogeyman. However, Craven uses story to explore what humans will do to survive. Yeah, the story, I mean, you're talking Christopher Columbus times. Yeah. So the fact that you were able to get a thousand people leaving any town... I'm finding, yeah. I'm saying maybe a couple, but I think they mainly led, they mainly ate animals because people didn't travel. Like you didn't drive to the town over, you know yeah. what I mean? You didn't leave the fucking town because you probably weren't coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I love a good hillbilly horror movie myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that movie and I like the remake too. I think they did. The okay. remake was, was raw, man. Yeah. Woo. When he was, um. 
when he was sucking the uh the teat, you know? Yeah. I was like <laughs> the, the the last house on the left original was so much better than the remake where the yeah. hills have eyes. It's kind of equal. I mean, yeah. obviously the original was better, but the way Craven did Krug in The Last House of oh, that movie just that movie made you take a fucking shower when you were done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did try to watch the sequel to the original Hills Have Eyes, but it just wasn't that great. Nah, I never um, tried. I didn't care for it to the sequel to the remake. Uh, it was a little hokey in my view. I mean, it's watchable, but not as good as the first. The original or the remake, I mean. So, but yeah, that I do, I do have the, I do have that on DVD and it was just fucking brutal, man. Yep. Yeah. And then like what the stepson did, like he was a weakling in the beginning, but then just turned into a savage, man. And another good inbred movie is, um, wrong turn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The second one, the second one was okay. Third one was better than, you know, you had like the, you know, but excuse me. I mean, you can't go wrong with Elijah Dishku, too. <laughs> Never, ever. The remake of um, Wrong Turn was good in its own own right. They could have called it something else. Yeah. You know, I think it probably would have been better. I kind of hope they make a sequel because, like, you know, it'd be nice to say. But yeah, so that's our based on true story topic. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's more that we'll stumble onto and talk yeah. about. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. So what are we doing next? Uh, we are going to talk to a gentleman that I met at um, the Horror Sideshow Market. He is a big fan of VHS, and he made a short horror film. It's about 25 minutes long called Labor Day, and he shot it on VHS film, I believe. That's so... not good. That's not going to be our next show. No, what's our next? Oh no, it's not our next show. Shit, I'm a. Oh, that's two weeks from now. Yeah, two weeks from now, we got an interview, guys. Coming to you. I'm a week ahead. I don't know. Maybe we could just talk about just be a bullshit episode and talk about our weekend, our day in Blairstown. Or do we finish Freddy vs. Jason? Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Let's get it out of there. Let's get it out of there. Now, when we run out of shit, we can move on to the next franchise. Yeah, let's get it out of there. And this is going to be a hot topic. That's fine. That's fine. We'll we'll keep the news short so we can go deep into fighting. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. All right, guys. This has been the Horror Shed Podcast. We're out every Monday. Make sure you like, subscribe, check out our awesome uh, intro, and we will see you guys next Monday. Oh, we hope.